Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, September 30th. Almost happy October. We have a very serious question on our hands. Is Virginia Tech football back? We discuss their dominant win over NC State, their upcoming matchup with Duke. We recap all the action in week three in the ACC to look ahead to some of the big matchups in week four. We do some lines. It's going to be a great show. Tim, what's going on? Hanging out, you know, enjoying the day after uh, some time uh, working and, um, you know, it's just, it's been a good week. It was one of those weeks where starting work, I would say going into the office, but with COVID, that's not necessarily what everyone's day-to-day looks like. But, you know, you were starting Monday with a little bit more pep in your step given the events of the weekend. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's it's amazing how a uh, Virginia Tech victory can really just put you in a bad mood and um, really kind of turn the fan base into uh, kind of our the favor of our coaching staff, which has been uh, a welcome change. So everybody coming to the defense of Justin Fuente this week when a uh, a writer, I guess radio personality in Raleigh had, uh, you know, I, I think he was trying to get cute a little bit in his uh, game analysis to where, you know, players, um, you know, how, how good could Virginia Tech be if players actually like Justin Fuente and obviously the Twittersphere blew up and um, essentially if you had asked uh, Virginia Tech that, that question back in February... Um, I think I think we probably would have had a little bit of a different reaction. So it's 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 just funny how winning can really change the vibe of a fan base. Yeah, especially and, uh, over the Twitter sphere. Yeah, and, and specifically with Joe, um, Joe Jiglio is the one that that you're referencing, and you know he's a guy that covered NC State for a long, long time, UNC for a much shorter amount of time for the News and Observer in Raleigh, um, which is you know the big paper in the Triangle, and he's usually good. He's usually got great takes. Um, and recently he went to one of the largest, if not the largest sports radio talk shows in the triangle, uh, sort of as a change of career. And, you know, he'll keep doing the writing on occasion, but you know, he would be the first to tell you that was an extremely stupid thing to write. Um, I think maybe the edgelord radio personality kind of shock jock took him over and he channeled his inner skip Bayless, maybe a little bit too much. Um, but really one of the laziest takes I've ever seen and coming from a guy like Joe, that was super disappointing. Cause you know, I mean, I, I like the guy a lot. I like what he puts out and you know, he's, he's a fun guy to listen to on the radio. Um, you know, he's typically got great opinions where ACC sports are concerned, but yeah, that was super, super disappointing. And, um, you know, it was great to see given the fan base isn't 100% behind Fuente in all aspects quite yet. He hasn't endeared himself to us, like obviously like Frank Beamer, because that took years and years and years to get to. Um, but it was nice to see everybody kind of rally around Justin Fuente and, you know, uh, pick up the sword for him when, you know, his name got drugged through the mud a little bit. And when it comes to that in such an important recruiting area, something like that, just you can't let that fly. That that was just lazy. And, and it was untrue, which was, you know, the bigger part was just didn't check any sources, didn't cite any sources, and basically blurted out the first thing that came to his mind. Yeah, no, it read more like a, a blog editorial than uh, yeah. an actual reporter. You know, Agreed. some kind of, you know, you know, which which is what we're used to these days. You know, it, it had a very uh, from the Virginia Tech fan base reaction a very uh, Terrell Owens, that's my quarterback meme feel <laughs> yeah. to it. Except sure. instead of quarterback, we're talking about a head coach in this situation. So right. that that to me was funny. Um, glad to see it. But I mean, hey, let's let's jump into the Virginia Tech recap here. I mean, you know, 
they came in NC State you know we talked to James Anderson at Inside Pack Sports last week none of us really knew kind of what to expect and uh, we were really expecting the unexpected and that's essentially what we got so I mean the way that I'm going to open it here is we're just going to go by the numbers so 23 that's the number of players that were out for Virginia Tech 29 that's the age of uh, Ryan Smith, who uh, you know was the one who I guess officially, you know, seceded uh, Bud Foster in <laughs> defensive play calling. So the pressure is off Justin Hamilton, I guess. Sure. Um, you know, three. The number of times Virginia Tech has rushed for 300 yards in an ACC game hadn't done so since 2010. Uh, also against NC State, so tough, tough go for the Wolfpack there. And then six, seven, five. That's the number of sacks, tackle for losses, and quarterback hurries the defense had on what we think is a pretty solid NC State offensive line. So, you know, on the other side, NC State, two sacks, five tackles for a loss. You know, it was, um, I mean, just a pleasant surprise. I, I don't know how to put it. I mean, you know, you watch Virginia Tech year after year after year, and, you know, it, it kind of had the feeling of the, uh, the Florida State game a few years ago, and I hate to bring that up because, you know, that season didn't necessarily go as planned at Florida State. It was a complete train wreck, but it had that dominant feel of a performance where, you know, Virginia Tech was up 17 nothing before it felt like the game even started. Right. So, I mean, it was uh, it was an incredible performance. You know, hats off to uh, the contingency planning by Justin Fuente to be prepared in that situation. You know, they didn't even, they didn't realize they weren't going to have Justin Hamilton until Saturday morning. Uh, when for whatever reason he uh, was unable to to be there whether it be COVID-19 positive or contact tracing or whatever it whatever it was um, but they had planned for it and uh, I, I don't know if it was always going to be Ryan Smith who was going to be calling the plays but you know they were down Tracy Clays they were down Justin Hamilton Ryan Smith next man up got his opportunity uh, you know just uh, just a great um a great performance by him and the coaching staff and and the players to to put out the performance that they that they gave us on Saturday. Yeah, I mean you, you can't really say enough about how important all of that was and um you know the rallying of the team in dire circumstances was nice. Uh you know, but one of the things I think is worth mentioning, I don't know how you felt, but when I initially cuz there was a bunch of mystery. I mean obviously anything Fuentes involved in is there's going to be mystery because he doesn't let anything slide to the media beforehand. But whole position groups may be affected, uh, you know, multiple starters, yada, yada, yada. And the only two real starters outside of a long snapper that were out were Hendon Hooker and, and, and Waller. And we knew about those two um, basically before the game started, a few games or a few days before the game started. Um, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw, obviously you never want to see 23 players out, but I was pleasantly surprised with the amount of starters and the amount of key players that we had that were able to suit up for NC State or for Virginia Tech. Well, yeah, it was it was interesting uh, because it felt like there was a ton of rotation all over the field. Yeah, and you know, I don't have a participation sheet in front of me or the number of stats or uh, snaps that guys played, but you know, there were there were guys that got a lot of different looks. You know, Breon Murray ended up starting. Uh, you know, we say there were only two starters out. You know, and I I kind of challenge that because. You know, a couple of months ago, we had Caleb Farley. We thought we had Jermaine Waller. We thought we had Devin Hunter. All those, all, all those guys are gone, at least for this game. So Jermaine Waller's still there, but it's not a COVID issue he's battling. It's still this ankle foot injury that he got before the Belk Bowl that, 
you know, Fuente in practice uh, this week said it sounds like he's he's optimistic that Waller will play sometime soon, and that's all he gave us. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, if you look at the cornerback position, you know, where, where did the three deep? You know, Brian Murray, or Breon Murray, he, he was there. He was ready to go, and I thought he played uh, very well. Uh, Keonta Jenkins, you know, he, again, the three deep at Rover, you know, true freshman, him and Lakeem Rudolph holding that position down. He led the team in tackles. So, I mean, it's uh, it was really next man up, and, you know, I thought this team looked prepared. I thought they looked ready to go. Um, it was certainly interesting to see how, you know, we utilize certain positions on the field, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty great performance. So it, it definitely uh, feels like it injected uh, quite a bit of optimism into the fan base. Um, it certainly is uh, is exciting to kind of see what we're going to get next week. Uh, it's, it's, it's always fun to have this uh, level of optimism early in the season, but, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's jump into it and we'll see if, if there's any cause for concern or, uh, if we need to be cautiously optimistic, but let's talk about the defense first here, Tim. So, you know, defensively, our leader in sacks last year was Emmanuel Belmar. He had four sacks. Justice Reed had two. (laughs) Not a great number. In his Hokie debut. Yeah. So I think what that indicates is lack of pass rush. And, you know, I think we're coming into the season with a defensive line that is uh, thin from a depth standpoint, but clearly has a lot of talent on it. And, I mean, if you saw, if you were watching, Justice Reed blew through a double team to get his first sack. Right. And, I mean, again, this NC State offensive line is pretty good. It's an offensive line that I think won uh, in the run game for a majority of the night against this defensive front, but, you know, I, I think Koki Nation has to be pretty excited about Justice Reed and really just how that defensive line played as a whole. I mean, overall, the defense had six sacks, five hurries, two picks, um, so they, they definitely uh, took advantage of some opportunities, but, um, yeah, that defensive line play, Tim, I don't, I don't know about you, but something that uh, I'm excited to watch throughout the season, if they can stay healthy, I think that's the big key with this group. Um you know, how, how many sacks are we going to see out of Justice Reed? Yeah, and I think, you know, particularly the key with them is active. I think you can see great coaching on the defensive line, um, which is what we expected uh, based on Tiernlich's hire, uh, Tap coming back. Those guys were active, man, and, and they were really flashing on passing downs especially. I mean, there were times when we would rush three or four, and all three or four defensive linemen were in the backfield uh, making a play on the quarterback, and you don't see that unless you have – super effective defensive line play that was super great to see um you know the flip side to that is yes i think being undersized while it helps the quick twitch nature of that defensive line will certainly benefit them on passing downs i think you kind of saw that creep in as maybe something to look at on the horizon as a potential issue is that if you adjust you know take the rushing yards that were caused negative rushing yards caused by sacks out of nc state stat lines i think they had maybe 191 yards rushing if not it's it's in that neighborhood that's a lot of rushing yards to give up. And it was clear coming in that was NC State's game plan, use the run to set up the pass. But, um, you know, their offensive line, again, credit is due there. They are a great run blocking defensive line. Uh, but we shall hopefully improve in, in that category and get better at limiting rushing attacks moving forward. But I don't think you can say enough about what that defensive line did, especially on passing downs. Just absolutely incredible. You know, you mentioned the sack number from last year for the team leader, and, and Justice Reed is already halfway there. 
and man, does he look like an absolute problem uh, for opposing tackles. Scary. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the one concern I guess I had with the defense, uh, at least this week, because, I mean, from a, from a passing standpoint, there really wasn't much for concern. You know, Devin Leary came in and, you know, he you know, he put together some nice drives, but I think towards the latter part of that game, we were seeing, you know, some, some depth that probably isn't going to get a whole lot of action as we go throughout the season from a defensive standpoint, game was well in hand. They were playing pretty soft zone coverage. So like, I'm not necessarily too concerned about like some of the, the later offensive play from NC state. You know, the one thing to look at is, you know, the, uh, the defensive line. So, I mean, or just the defense as a whole against against the rush. So, I mean, NC State's running backs had 179 yards on the ground. They averaged 5.2 yards per carry if we take out the uh, the lost rushing yardage on sacks. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's good and bad. You know, NC State has a three-headed monster running back. They've got a lot of talent there. They've got a very good offensive line. I think it's probably one of the better offensive line Virginia, offensive line groups that Virginia Tech's going to face this season, uh, outside of facing their offensive line in practice every every single day. Um, but that was probably my only like cause for like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to kind of affect us going forward. Our team's going to be able to take uh, take advantage of that. Um, so I, I don't know if that stood out to you, Tim. I think the one positive from that standpoint is the longest rush of the night was 14 yards. So it's not like they were gashing the defense uh, for 20, 30-yard gains. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned, that 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 would be my only concern. And, um, you know, it, it's even more concerning when you are getting hit for those 25-yard-plus runs, but we didn't see any of that. I think that's when you talk about a real issue on the defense. You know, in college, a lot of defense is played around the philosophy of bending but not breaking. Um, and I think that was on full display in, in what happened with the rush game with NC State. I mean, you know, they attacked it. They wanted to set up the run. They had the personnel to do it. But, you know, Virginia Tech was doing just enough, giving up just enough yards, but not getting killed by those long runs. That flip side of the coin, you could see Virginia Tech having that same effect against NC State where those long runs and, and those big plays really break your back. And, um, you know, I, I think there is some solace to be taken in that regard. But, yeah, if you could, if you nitpick, uh, that would be the the one area that I'm slightly concerned on defense is how does an admittedly undersized defensive line fare against teams that want to come out and, and run the ball straight at you and, um, you know, comfortable win. Uh, but if there is an area for improvement, maybe it is in in that area. Yeah, and again, we didn't really talk about Ryan Smith, but the uh, I thought the play calling was great. I thought you know the game plan looked really good, and again, like this, it just looked like a prepared team. We had no idea what to expect, um, but yeah, this team looked ready to go. So I, I think from a coaching staff as a whole, uh, stand just a standout job there. Yeah. Um, if we move over to offense, we got to talk about this offensive line first. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The offense. This is probably the greatest offensive line we've ever had in Blacksburg. Yeah. And I just want to be clear here. I'm not saying that as a cautiously optimistic statement. I truly believe that. I think there were four, probably day one or two picks on this offensive line in the NFL draft. You've yeah. got Luke Tenuta, who was named to the Pro Football Focus Team of the Week at right tackle. You've got Brock Hoffman, who oh my. took head-on NC State's best defend, best defender, which yeah. is nose tackle Aline McNeil. Right, and you want to talk about another day one them. or two draft pick. I mean, another he was going one. up against— Probably day one. 
yeah, probably day one, going up against a legit NFL prospect with right now NFL size. Um, and he owned him, Justin. He owned him. Yeah, just com- completely dominated him throughout the entire game. Doug Nestor, a guy who, you know, he had a play where, you know, we're never going to not see that on a hype video from <laughs> from now until the end of time. No. I mean, just absolutely annihilated a defender on the goal line to uh, to get in for the score there, a rushing touchdown. You know, he's another guy. He's a, He's a sophomore. He's probably going to be a very high draft pick. And, um, I mean, just, you know, another guys like Brian Hudson and Terrell Smith and all these guys, they just so good. I mean, gaping holes, only gave up two sacks. And I think this group has a chance to be really special. And, I mean, if, if you're looking at Virginia Tech this season, uh, it looks like they're a team that is very well positioned to be a power run football team. Um, a team that can also hit you with a lot of talent on the outside. They've, they've got playmakers all over the field. Khalil Herbert looked like the real deal. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if he's running through holes the size of what this offensive line was giving him, and again, against the best defensive unit on NC State's team, the defensive line, I, I think we could agree that that's probably the greatest strength of their defense. Yeah. Pretty much just absolutely dominated them. Yeah, it, it was crazy because it was the last thing I expected – was the sheer level of dominance. I expected Virginia Tech's offensive line to perform well because this is not a surprise to us, right? Like all offseason, we pointed at the offensive line and said, well, you know, that's shaping up to be a really impressive unit. Um, They turned Lane Stadium into the International House of Pancakes on Saturday, and it was insane to watch. The holes, the, the tenacity, the overall nastiness on display on that offensive line was what impressed me the most. That's a mindset. So not only do they have the physical ability, that's a nasty, nasty O-line with that mindset of wanting to go out there and just just slam your opponent into the dirt. That'll take you places. And I think the most important thing for me, I always say this, you know this, I rag on Virginia Tech enough for not having an identity. You can build an identity around that offensive line. If you can keep that that level of play and that mindset and that attitude I think you found an identity there. Um, and that's, I think, what excites me the most is, yes, I mean, we can absolutely become a, you know, not quite a power running team when you're doing it in the spread. But, um, you know, as close as you could emulate a power running team coming out of the spread and also mixing in a bunch of creative passing looks and different packages to get wide receivers the ball, to get a certain quarterback the ball more. Um, you know, it's exciting to think about where you can go with that offensive line and how that sets you up for your identity and for the future of the program. I think it's huge. Yeah, it certainly takes pressure off of other areas um, on the offense. And I mean, this group is pretty much 10 deep. I mean, obviously every player isn't created equal, but you know, if somebody were to go down, there's plenty of uh, guys that can step in and, you know, with advanced vice offensive line, these guys know how to play multiple positions. So uh, there's definitely uh Definitely a lot to be uh, happy and hopeful about with that group. You know, I think from quarterback, you know, we we did see two quarterbacks. We knew we were going to see two quarterbacks coming into the season. We just didn't think we were going to see this much Quincy Patterson. And uh, leave it to Electrolytes and Mustard. Maybe that should have been the name of the podcast, Tim. But, (laughs) you know, Braxton Burmeister uh, looked really good to get started, went five for six, 66 yards. And then he left the game with uh, a hand cramp. You know, he hit the ground pretty hard. And then in comes Quincy Patterson, who, you know, just four for four with two touchdowns in the first half. So 
uh, just a, just another day at the office. But, you know, these quarterbacks combined to go 11 for 17, 181 yards with the two touchdowns. And, um, you know, Patterson added another one on the ground. He actually led the team in rushing attempts. So, you know, it, it leaves me, and I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic here because I still don't love a two-quarterback system, but I think we're going to see three quarterbacks on the field throughout a lot of the games that we're playing because if you look at Quincy Patterson I still think he is going to more likely than not give you more of a one-dimensional type of offense for sure and I you know I think if you're playing against the better secondary or one of the stronger defenses like a, a Pitt or a UVA that you know North Carolina that have pretty good secondaries you know, he might be a little bit more limited with what he can do from a passing standpoint. That's not a criticism. No, no I mean, no. he's an elite runner, you know, and he really reminds me of Cam Newton with yeah. the way that New England is really utilizing yeah. him because you cannot stop Cam Newton. Nope. You know it's coming. You know he's going to run it down your throat, and you can't stop it. Yeah. And essentially, I think that's what QP can be for us in a goal line slash short yardage situation um, and can really, behind this offensive line, bring that kind of power run game. Yeah, and not only can he do that, I mean, he showed you he can pass. Um, so having that threat in a, in a package for QP would just, I mean, it keeps the defense honest. Even if they wanted to stack the box, which good luck stacking the box against QP, see how that works out for you, um, he could hit you over the top for a pass. I will say, and this is not criticism or negativity, um, a couple of those touchdown passes, I think, would have been picks against a better secondary. Uh, they, they were just kind of lobbed in there. And I thought NC State's cornerbacks, especially Malik Dunlap in that regard, just looked poorly coached. Um, you're not going to be able to get away with some of those passes against better teams. But the fact that he's out there making those throws and, and giving the wide receivers a chance is a whole lot if we're talking about a package quarterback. And, and he's certainly much more than that. But given what's on the deck here, and I think what's getting lost a little bit, rightfully so, because of QP's performance and his stat line, was that Braxton Burmeister looked really good. I mean, really, really good. That guy has a gear as far as speed goes that our other quarterbacks don't have. I will say, like you, I, I hope we do not end up with a two-quarterback system. I don't consider sprinkling in QP here and there, uh, uh, you know, adding another quarterback into the rotation. Um, I think it's just a, an important thing to do when you're in short yardage and goal line. Um, I'm speaking specifically here towards Braxton and Hendon. I have no reason to believe Hendon is not the number one guy and won't be starting and the primary quarterback, but I hope we're not just trying to, trying to sprinkle in Braxton just to sprinkle in Braxton because I, I can't stress enough how important I think it is to have a, that go-to guy, that primary quarterback for your team. And it does worry me a little bit that we're kind of in this limbo right now with quarterbacks and great problem to have, um, you know, but it's certainly something that I spend my time thinking about. Yeah, and in the way that I was kind of thinking about it after the game is I think, again, this is a good slash bad situation to be in. Good because Virginia Tech has three starting quarterbacks. No other team, maybe outside of Clemson, can can say that, according to Dabo. I've seen the other guys play, not super impressed. But they can literally put any guy on the field, and obviously the, the, the game flow and the game play and the game calling is, is going to be a little bit different for each one of these guys, but I think that's what really opens it up. So if Hendon Hooker is struggling, 
against a, a team like, uh, you know, whoever, then, you know, maybe throw Braxton in there and you, you have a little bit of a different dynamic. So I, I think the one thing that we saw out of this offense um, was, you know, we didn't see a lot of aerial attack and we didn't really need to. I mean, Virginia Tech got up 17 to nothing pretty much immediately. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say that it was conservative play calling. I just don't think we saw everything that this offense can can really do or what they're planning to do. And they might have gone into that anyways, knowing that, you know, they were going to have less guys on the field. We were going to try to dominate on the ground. But, you know, if you look around the field, Khalil Herbert led the team in rushing 104 yards. He only had six carries. You know, he added in a 46-yard receiving touchdown as well. You know, James Mitchell led the team with three catches. He had 68-ish yards or something along those lines. And Trey Turner only had one catch. Uh, Tavion Robinson had a couple catches and the touchdown. So, uh, there wasn't a lot of action going on with the receivers, and I, I think, you know, probably, especially after Burmeister left with the injury, you know, we went to a much more kind of run-heavy type of approach, and there was nothing too crazy out of the box that I saw from an offensive standpoint. We didn't really see Raheem Blackshear line up through the slot, so those are all things that I'm I'm looking at in the future here. You know, we didn't really see Shane Gahaj. We didn't really see Evan Ferris. Uh, you know, what are those guys going to do on, on the offense? And I, I think Shango's probably going to be the guy who emerges from from that group. But I think there's still a, a lot of questions about what we can be, what Virginia Tech can be from a passing standpoint. Um, and I'm okay with that. And we may not even see it this week against Duke as well, just because it's another game where, you know, they may be able to control the uh, the game on the ground. But certainly uh, something to be wary of. I think the, uh, the rushing attack, 7.7 yards per carry, Five players scored touchdowns, 495 total yards, 314 on the ground. I mean, it was just dominant performance. Yeah. Uh, there's there's really nothing more you can say. Yeah. You know, it, it, Brad Cornelson has to feel like Bob Ross with a palette the size of a trash can lid in unlimited colors. And all he's got to go out there and do is paint happy trees until he's blue in the face. Because I'm telling you, there's so much inherent flexibility with the way this roster is set up. It's it's almost unprecedented, honestly, uh, in my time watching Virginia Tech, you know, since I came to, to school in 2006. We've got so many different ways that we can attack a team, so many different players with specific skill sets that you can line up. Look, look, Raheem Blackshear is a great person to point to here. You can line up up in the slot. You can line him up at tailback. Um, you could line him up split out wide. And and that's just one example of an offense that has so many of these people, whether you be talking about QP or Braxton Burmeister, you know, what you can do with a quarterback of that speed in special packages. And um, it's one of those things like like you, I just want to see us lean into that flexibility, lean into that creativity. And I don't want it to become a scenario in which we say, yeah, our identity is a run team and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pound, pound, pound the ball, because I think that would be an injustice uh, to the roster the way it's set up. And I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. I, th- I think Cornelson will do a good job with uh, the tools he's got at his disposal. But, you know, just talking about it, just going back and thinking, you know, about the game just gets me excited again, man, because I am I, I am excited to see this offense evolve in, in just week by week how we're going to get better and better because y- you have to consider what COVID did to the, you know, the install on the offensive side, the players on the offensive side missing, you know, big pieces of training camp and in practices. It's really, really exciting to think about, man. And, and, you know, I'm just as excited for that offense as I am for the defense. Yeah. And if you want to play devil's advocate, I mean, you can, right? So we're going to be 
we're going to play devil's advocate here just for a second. So, you know, NC State only one conference win last year. And although rash of injuries, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw that out. But for, for lack of a better example, they had one conference win last year. I think they're a much better team this year. Wake Forest, supposed to be really bad this season. A lot of personnel departures. Put up pretty good numbers against this D. I mean, if you look at the the box score, we talked about this with James. You know, nothing really blew off the page at you, um, but you know they did put up 35 or so, um, and then had the defensive touchdown. Bailey Hockman, uh, not much of a threat in the pass game. No, I mean, I I think that was a question we had last week: is if he's forced to throw, you know, what what is NC State going to do? Well, they're going to have to go to Devin Leary, um, which they they did so probably a little bit too late. So. Um, you know, certainly uh, not super tested from a aerial standpoint in the secondary. So, you know, maybe that'll happen this week with Chase Bryce. Who knows? But certainly uh, the week following with Sam Howell. And then, you know, we talked about it earlier, 179 yards on the ground given up. So, you know, just a few things to kind of point to and look at, and we'll see how it plays out. You know, NC State, really uh, interested to see how they play against Pitt this week. Um, I think that'll, yeah, I don't know what it will tell us exactly, but... I think it'll be a good kind of barometer as far as what this pit offense can do against the NC State defense. So, yeah. um, you know, some things to look out for there. And then, you know, from an injury standpoint, again, we talked about Jermaine Waller. Sounds like Fuente's optimistic he'll be back. And then, you know, the other one that I, I noticed was Deshaun Crawford really did not play a whole lot. And, you know, Fuente mentioned he's not really in game shape. So I don't know if that is you know, a, a, something that we need to be concerned about, or, you know, is that a COVID related issue? Was he out for a while? So, um, I think either way with that group, it's going to be quite a rotation at defensive tackle. Um, but just something from a depth standpoint, I, I wonder how much Deshaun Crawford we're going to see this year. Yeah. And just to touch briefly on NC state, um, as a whole, I thought the defense looked individually pretty poorly coached and, and that some of that's to be expected. You know, they're dealing with a complete staff overhaul, um, not a lot of time with position coaches getting a full roster. They ran through the same COVID issues we did, not making excuses for them, but you can see why, you know, kind of changing a complete install on a defense and so many new faces, why they might look a little porous. Um, you know, they're going to have to figure out how that, how that three, three, five works and how they can slow down a rushing attack in that three, three, five base, because it seemed like, you know, we were able to have whatever we wanted on the ground on the flip side of, you know, the offense, Speaking of NC State, I thought Devin Leary looked really good. Um, that guy was making some borderline NFL throws out there, and he, he's he got some serious arm talent. If I'm NC State, I'm going ahead and, and throwing all my chips in the uh, in the Devin Leary boat there and just letting it ride. Because I, I think, you know, when you look at Bailey Hockman and Devin Leary, it was clear Devin Leary is in a, in a different tier of talent when it comes to that quarterback situation. And um, you know, maybe as he gets more time, I know Dave Doran came out after the game and said they'd go into the week with both listed as starters and they'd figure out come game time who it would be. Um, you know, if you're an NC State fan, you've you got to be hoping that Devin Leary is, is the guy that he rides with because I do think NC State can give Pitt problems. Um, you know, they got the running attack that they'll need to to go against a tough defense and, you know, Pitt's offense is no juggernaut. So, NC State, I thought, ran into a buzzsaw. You know, going down 17 quick the way they did against us was was tough, and there was no real recovering from that, but especially not when you have to chase points with Bailey Hockman. And, and you know, I I don't think this is, you know, the nail in NC State's coffin for the year saying, oh, they're going to be, you know, have another bad year. Um, but it's certainly, certainly discouraging when you look at how well they played against Wake Forest. 
Um, you know, but the beat goes on for them and I think they'll be okay. I don't know that they'll be 500 this year, but like you said, I think they'll be much improved. So let's jump into a recap of week three in the ACC and then we'll jump over to the Duke preview. So a couple of big games this week, Tim, let's start with Pitt and Louisville. So Pitt upends the Cardinals 23, 20, uh, dominant, dominant performance by this Pitt defense held Louisville to 223 yards one for 11 on third down in the stat line of the day Javion Hawkins had a 75 yard touchdown run he finished with 13 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown yeah I mean just unreal that's crazy Uh, Mikhail Cunningham which by the way is it Mikhail or Malik I mean I cannot what is this guy calling himself it changes I, every week. I based don't off know. The broadcast I, I think it's Malik now. You're listening to. Yeah, I, I think it's Malik like, what, now, but I, I have no idea. Next week it could be Mikhail again. Yeah, I, I just it was Malik to start last year, and then it turned into Mikhail, and now it's Malik again. Anyway, yeah. he threw 107. He threw for 170 yards, three picks. Unfortunately, uh, was carted off the field last play of the game with a head injury. So. Um, not sure how serious that was, but certainly something to watch with Louisville going forward about the, uh, you know, from the quarterback position. Pitt offensively, I mean, 23 points against this Louisville defense Eesh. cause for concern. Yeah. You know, that is nothing to write home about. Um, I mean, this, this Louisville defense is just a joke. And the fact that Pitt only had 23 points uh, doesn't say a whole lot about uh, their uh, their future as an offense. But again, this D is winning games. So all this yeah. offense has to do is just what they did, just enough to, yep. to sneak out. Um, but even so, even after that dominant defensive performance, it was still a one-possession game at the end. Yeah, and you know, it was one of those things where Mikhail, Malik, Cunningham, um, whatever you want to refer to him as this week, uh, he just had a, a bad game. You know, 9 for 21, 107 yards. It's really impressive when you consider how good they are on the ground that a quarterback who had been playing well could struggle to that level. I think that speaks to a balanced pit defense, one that is as good against the run as it is against the pass, and that's rare these days. Usually you, you heavily tilt to one side. You know, it's really the great defenses that can defend both well, and Pitt does that. Um, you know, I thought that was super impressive. You flip it over to the pit side, and this running game just isn't going to give them enough. It's not going to give them what they need to make that their identity. The issue they're running into on offense is that leaning into Kenny Pickett probably isn't the best identity either. Um, so they've got to figure out what they're going to do in order to generate enough yards to to get some wins. And look, if they can sort this offensive situation out, I'm not sure that they can, given what we've seen so far. But if they can sort it out, this is a team with a shout for the top three easy. Um, you know, with that defense, yeah, no, no. I mean, even now with that defense, I mean, you could make the case. It's just one of those things where I think their ultimate downfall is going to be, you know, that that offense can't seem to get it going because that was the most surprising thing to me as bad as Louisville's defense has been that they were able to bottle pit up to that degree. Super concerning for Narduzzi. Yeah, you know, we're starting to see teams rise to the top here in the ACC. You've got Clemson, obviously. We'll go ahead and throw Notre Dame in there, even though I'm still not super sold on Notre Dame. But no, you know, yeah. for for you know for this conversation purpose, they're in the top five. Then you've got Pitt and uh, Miami, and then you know it's it's too early to tell with Virginia Tech. Even though I want to lump them into the top five, I think they are top five in the ACC. They've only got one game under their belts. UVA only one game under their belt. So there's some other teams to kind of figure out here, but it certainly seems like there's five teams in the ACC. 
uh, that are fighting for a appearance in the title game and four of those teams are fighting for one slot you would have to imagine so going to be really interesting to see what happens with Pitt Miami Notre Dame Virginia Tech as as the season wears on speaking about Miami 52-10 over Florida State and the dumpster fire continues Knowles were no match for the Canes complete domination largest margin of victory since 1976 you know what 1976 was Tim what was 1976? It was Bobby Bowden's first year at FSU. Wow. Impressive Fourth stat pool. straight game. Fourth straight win for Miami in the series. Uh, FSU played three quarterbacks. They all had picks. Derek King uh, went for 267 in the air, two touchdowns, added 67 on the ground. The Miami defense had six sacks, 13 tackles for loss, and seven quarterback hurries. You want to know what the uh, FSU defensive line did? Zero quarterback hurries, no sacks against one of the worst offensive lines from last season in all of college football. Wow. This team is an absolute travesty to the sport of college football. If you're watching FSU, I hope you like the color yellow. They had 12 penalties for 113 yards. I mean, this team's in shambles. It's like in our doing mindset, and I desperately wanted to take Jacksonville State at plus 26 and a half, <laughs> but I refrained. That's what I think of FSU right now. I don't even know what to say, man. I mean, with that level of talent, they have talent. I mean, they do. It's it's a flat-out fact that they have talent. On the defensive side of the ball, they have a ton of talent. You would never have known it watching that game. And I want to give Miami credit here. I truly do. I just don't know that I can because I think the well is that poisoned in Tallahassee at the moment. I don't know what's going on. Locker room issues. Is it a culture thing? Is it Norvell having COVID and not being there? I don't know. I'm not in the business of making excuses for Florida State. But my word, this is one of the worst all-around showings from a football team with that level of talent that may has ever happened in the history of college football to this point. To this point. And I'm not sure that it's even debatable. It is an absolute train wreck. Oh, FSU. My goodness. My goodness. I just, I cannot. I'm getting a headache me. just thinking about yeah, I just, I don't how they it. play football. This team won a national championship in the last 10 years, and they're this bad at football. I mean, it's an absolute joke. UVA 38, Duke 20. Uh, you know, sloppy, inconsistent play uh, by both teams. You know, first game of the season for UVA, so I can uh, somewhat excuse that. For Duke, game three starting to be a trend. Quarterback play wasn't super great on either side. I will say this about Brennan Armstrong. Uh, he looks like a pretty good runner. Um, certainly not elite, but certainly a guy who who can run the football. Uh, needs some work in the passing game. Uh, he did make some nice plays, some nice throws uh, throughout the game, but uh, just wasn't very consistent and there are better defenses in the ACC than Duke, but I will say first game of his career, uh, so I'm, I'm willing to you know wait a week and see what happens. Oh wait, they play Clemson. I'll give them one more. Um, but on the Duke side of the house, Chase Price got benched in this football game through four picks. Um, you know it was really interesting for me, Tim, because it felt like uh, towards the latter part of the third quarter, Duke uh, was somewhat taking control of this game, and then. David Cutcliffe decided to call a wide receiver pass in which that wide receiver threw an interception and (laughs) 
that's when the wheels really yeah. came off for the Blue Devils. Um, so again, it's just more really uh, kind of head scratching play calling from Duke and um, from the UVA side of things. You know, just another two two bright spots really. Six foot seven freshman wide receiver Larvell Davis, hundred yard day. That guy uh, looks like he's going to be a threat in the passing game. Also, Wayne uh, Tawalapapa at running back. You know, it's a little dude, but he's he's got some power on there. He's a really good goal line back. And again, like some of this is, you know, good on the UVA defense and some of it is just Duke being sloppy. Seven turnovers, five sacks. Duke really feels like from an offensive standpoint, they're reeling. And yeah. and Cutcliffe's gotta gotta get him back to shore here. Well look, I mean, this was it was Chase Bryce or Bust this year. And if Chase Bryce busts, so does that offense. You're talking about a quarterback right now is two for six. Uh touchdowns to interceptions on the year. That's just not good enough, especially when you talk about how meager his yards per attempt are so we're talking about short intermediate routes and having a problem with interceptions that's not a good combination um, and and certainly not a good pairing uh, with a questionable defense so that's tough you know Cutcliffe's got got a tough decision ahead of him you know I assume they're going to go right back to Bryce but how long do you let him you know keep struggling it's tough I mean how concerned are you with the way Chase Bryce has looked this year well I'd I'd be very concerned and you know, part of it, I don't know how much of it is on him. There's certainly some, you know, but there's not a ton of playmakers on that offense. So, you know, who's going to step up? I think the play calling's been, again, pretty bad. Like, we're going to talk about yeah. Duke in a little bit, so I don't want to, you know, spill ahead to our preview here. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're a Duke fan, you know, you're – you're not super excited about what you've been seeing so far, and it's just not going to get easier. I mean, no. 0-3 to start the season, 0-3 in the ACC. Uh, it's going to be a long year, probably a little bit longer than you had anticipated. So we'll talk about Duke in a second. Syracuse 37, Georgia Tech 20. Uh, Orange forced five turnovers, scored 17 points off of those, which really isn't that much. 100-yard rushing performance by freshman Sean Tucker, the first by a Syracuse player since our boy Eric Dungey in 2018. <laughs> wow. DeVito had a little bit of a better day, you know, nothing fantastic, but Jeff Sims, once again, uh, just, uh, you know, very turnover prone, um, had four picks, um, but it's really to kind of be expected at this point. But uh, this was one of those games we talked about it last week. Wasn't sure what to do with that uh, with that line. It was uh, eight point, uh, or seven and a half points, I believe, in GT's favor, and uh, Syracuse, that defense, uh, found a way to get it done. Yeah, didn't see that coming. I don't think anyone really did. Um, but, you know, it's clear to this point, Georgia Tech's going to be a team that's going to struggle with turnovers this year. I, you know, I don't know how that gets better, uh, given what you're working with from a talent standpoint, a depth standpoint especially. You're pretty limited. Um, you know, but there's still a lot to like about, about what Georgia Tech is doing and where they're headed. Flip side to that is Syracuse, wow, Um you know, I think it says a lot about Syracuse not rolling over and quitting at this point because their first couple of showings really could have allowed that to happen. You know, uh, props to Dino Babers for getting his team ready to go. And, you know, that defense is still sneaky dangerous from a turnovers perspective. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on. Is Syracuse going to continue to com- improve or is this more of a flash in the pan? Boston College 24, Texas State 21. This was a game that BC almost let get away here. I mean, they were they were losing for a majority of this game, and Jerkovic was able to uh, kind of pull it out towards the end. They kicked a field goal with the last in the last three seconds, and again, you know, he uh, 
he had a decent day. Uh, again, it, it felt like kind of comeback duty with him. They've got this little bit of a UNC feel from last season where they try to come back from a big deficit in the second half. Um, you know, the thing that's really kind of standing out for me is they're not really doing a great job of running the football this year. You know, David Bailey, only eight carries, 33 yards, just seemed to be struggling to get that ground game going. But they survived. They lived to see another week. And, uh, yeah, three-point victory over the Texas State Eagles. Nothing to write home about there. No, and you know, it, you start asking yourself, how good is Duke? Um, but you try to stop yourself from thinking that. This is a clear, at least to me, a clear situation where they were probably overlooking Texas State. Uh, didn't expect to get into that kind of game with them. You know, they did end up pulling it out. Uh, but, you know, slightly concerning for a v- BC team that we thought was was headed, you know, strongly in the right direction. So, you know, uh, maybe tame your expectations a little bit. And, and, you know, BC needs to come out with a much stronger performance next week. All right, so let's jump into our Virginia Tech Duke preview. And, uh, you know, we fit on these teams a little bit, so... Uh, we're just going to give you some of the things to to look out for, but let's give you an overview of Duke first. So, I mean, defensively, Duke is is obviously off to a rough start. I think the thing to to think about with Duke is watching them, they look like a much better defense than the numbers are telling you. I think there have been so many turnovers on offense this season that it's really put this defense in a tough spot a lot of the time. So, I don't think this defense is as bad as maybe some of the numbers indicate. Um, and I do like their defensive line. So, I mean, you know, they've got 10 sacks on the season um, over three games. They forced seven fumbles, only recovered one of them. Um, they've got four picks. So if we're concerned about total defense, they rank 47th, which I guess in a normal season would probably be in the 70s or 80s. Um, so nothing to really write home about there, but the guy whose name I'm going to butcher is uh, their defensive end, Victor uh, Dimukeji. Is that how you say that, Tim? I have no idea. He's yeah, got a uh, close. Yeah, it's close. Uh, he's got four sacks and a forced fumble on the season. He's really good. Um, if you look at kind of their production over the um, over the course of the season, you know they had three sacks in game one. Um, you know, and, and their their sacks and their tackles for losses and their quarterback hurries, it, it seems to be going down. So I'm not sure why that trend is starting to continue, but um, from a total yard standpoint, giving up 425 yards per game, 275 through the ground. Um, and I mean, the, the other thing to consider with that is in those two games, they've gone against two quarterbacks that are making their first college starts. Um and they're giving up 150 yards on the ground, allowing over 30 points per game. So there's certainly opportunity here with Duke. I think, um, you know, I think we're going to see Hendon Hooker play. So I think we're going to see a little bit more out of the the passing game um, from both him and Burmeister, but specifically Hooker. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we kind of take care of that group. But Tim, I don't know if there's anything defensively from Duke that really kind of stands out to you. It's just one thing I wanted to highlight really. Um, Mark Gilbert and Josh Blackwell, two starters in the defensive backfield, are gone. They're out now due to injury. Um, so they're dealing with two new replacements, Jeremiah Lewis and Leonard Johnson, who are going to come in. And that just kind of goes into your point there, which is I think if you're Hendon Hooker, I think if you're Brad Cornelson, this would be the game where you'd want to open up that passing game a little bit and spread the ball around. 
Um, and, and maybe try some things out. You know, I'm not saying that Duke is a pushover, but you know, you have some chances here to make some plays on a depleted secondary. And I expect Virginia Tech to try and capitalize in that regard. Offensively for Duke, they are averaging a abysmal 13 points per game. Uh, I mean, we talked about Chase Price, two touchdowns, six picks, been sacked nine times, benched last week. Their leading rusher is Deion Jackson, only averaging four yards per carry. He's got like 135 yards through three games. Um, they've only got two rushing touchdowns, you know, to start the season. This is a team that scored six points against Boston College and has lost by at least two touchdowns in every game this season. Their closest margin of victory came against Notre Dame, in which they lost by 14. Uh, so lost by 20 to BC and then lost by 18 to UVA. Um, their offense is struggling. I mean, yeah. there's there's nothing nothing more you can say. And I, I think uh, what I want to see out of the Virginia Tech defense is just taking, making sure that they execute on the opportunities that this offense is giving them. Um, you know, Justice Reed is somebody I'm really looking forward to to go up against an offensive line that is not nearly the strength of what he just faced. Um, so what, what that group can do and the secondary. I think the secondary is going to be tested a little bit more. Uh, at least to to start the game, because Duke is a team that likes to throw the ball down the field. They are a pass-first team. So, um, yeah, the Duke offense, Tim, is is there anything that you can really be positive about here? Not particularly. No, you know, I think for the Neo Lunch Pail D, I think this is a great time to come out and remain aggressive. I think that's what you know. I really took from the NC State game was it was so great to see that we we kept aggression up, something that's been such a hallmark of Virginia Tech defenses for so long. And and not only were we aggressive, we were creating absolute havoc, which there's a difference between being aggressive and, and creating havoc. You can be aggressive all day, have your blitz picked up, and, and that would actually hurt you. Um, in Virginia Tech's regard, I thought that we did a real good job of causing havoc and making the quarterback uncomfortable. Um, you know, so if you're Ryan Smith and Justin Hamilton, uh, you know, you're sitting there looking at the Duke offense, you know, licking your lips, man. I mean, you're excited. That that presents a really good opportunity to go out there and do what you get a, did against NC State, which is make the quarterback uncomfortable and, and create some turnovers. So if you're Virginia Tech, the two things that I'm looking for here, you know, the first being QB utilization. So I think uh, to preface, you know, what we'll see is I don't think necessarily what we'll see against Duke is what we will see going forward. Uh, you know, I don't think we mentioned this, but, you know, they said in last week's game that Burmeister uh, had basically been cleared the Sunday before the game. So he had about a week after whatever kind of quarantine he was on to get ready. And that's essentially what Hooker will have. Hooker, you know, he was at the game Saturday. So essentially about the same to get ready for this one. And by all accounts, we would have to imagine that Hendon Hooker will be starting this football game. Um so just seeing seeing what we're going to do there. I, I still think Hendon is probably the best, uh, safest option as a passer. Uh, I think he gives Virginia Tech the best chance to utilize for wide receivers and to, to make some plays down the field. Um, he may not have the home run threat that the other two guys have, especially on the ground. But, um, you know, I certainly think, you know, what I want to see is just if we are going to use Burmeister and Hooker, uh, you know, what is that going to look like? Is it going to be rotating drives? Is it going to be, you know, uh, certain guys at certain parts of the field coming in for different packages? Is it going to be a sustained package or is it going to be one or two plays here and there? So 
I don't know if we'll get that full picture uh, this week, Tim, um, but I would love to see QP utilized in uh, these certain kind of like wild turkey goal line packages um, that we would expect to see out of a Cam Newton. But uh, very excited to see Hendon back on the field uh, playing and, uh, you know, going up against uh, what, what we think is a pretty good matchup this week. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm excited to see Hendon play. Um, as you mentioned, I think, you know, he kind of got the moniker last year of being a game manager because his touchdown to interception ratio was so good. He protected the ball so well. And I think there's more to see from Hendon, a great deal more to see from Hendon in the passing game. So it's going to be interesting to see what his evolution looks like as he goes from, you know, whether it's, it's right or wrong, seeing a sort of a game manager won't hurt you type quarterback to a quarterback that can go out there and, and pass you to death. And, you know, he'll never need to in the Virginia Tech offense, but I think he has it in his locker. You know, he made some big time throws last year and he's got another off season under his belt. He's older, he's wiser, uh, you know, and Duke presents a great opportunity for him to go out and have a great game. Um, so I'm, I'm totally excited. I think quarterback utilization is a great shout for one of the things you want to look forward to. Um, you know, if you're a Virginia tech fan heading into this and, uh, you know, it's a great position to be in. I don't think we're going to see as much Braxton, um, as maybe some people think based on some quotes, uh, by Fuente, but who really knows? I mean, this could go any way. Uh, but like you also referencing QP, I, I want to see QP used a lot. I, I would like to see QP used more than Braxton Burmeister to a heavy degree um, because I think there is the element of surprise with QP where you think you know what he's going to do and you commit to stopping something and you can get hit uh, for big yardage, explosive plays. But the other aspect that you've already mentioned, you can load the box on him. It doesn't mean you're going to stop him from getting two to three yards, just like Cam Newton. And and I want to see us leverage QP in, in, in high leverage situations as opposed to bringing him in maybe when the game's done and dusted to do some creative things from a formational standpoint. Because I think, you know, setting up what we're going to do later on in the year, games like Duke, you know, we're going to have to take every opportunity to kind of work out some of the kinks. So I'm excited to see what we do from that quarterback standpoint. Yeah, and if you're a defensive coordinator, you got to be not looking forward to game planning for Virginia Tech because there are just so many different looks that this offense can give you now that we haven't been able to really see in years past. So are they going to play more Hendon? Are they going to play more Braxton? You know, how how much is QP going to get on the field? You know, what are they going to do with their running backs? Is Raheem Blackshear going to be in the slot? So there's all these different things that have to be, you know, considered with now. And it, it really puts... Uh, or it really gives uh, Virginia Tech an advantage from a, from a play calling and uh, scheme standpoint. So that's something I'm really looking forward to as the season goes on. Again, I don't know how much uh, they're going to give away from an offensive standpoint in this game, especially if Virginia Tech jumps up to a, a quick lead again like they did against NC State. Not that we should get used to 17-point leads after the first three drives, but uh, I, I think there's certainly some points here for the taking against Duke uh, even though it's on the road it'll probably be louder um, with an empty stadium than it is with people in it sure. uh, the Virginia Tech secondary specifically Keonta Jenkins in the past game is what I'm looking for here so uh, they're still easing some guys back you know once again probably not going to have a full roster Justin Hamilton may still be out depending on the situation you have to, may have to wait another week or two for Jermaine Waller um you know, what are the opportunities going to look like for the secondary as far as, you know, creating turnovers and, you know, making big plays? You know, I don't I don't think what we saw out of uh, 
Jenkins last week was being tested through the air, and I certainly think that's a, a spot that um, Cutcliffe will try and take advantage of early. Um, if the first three games tells us anything, they're going, going to struggle to do that, at least from an execution standpoint and uh, just from a playmaker standpoint. I think Virginia Tech has far more talent on the defensive side of the ball than Duke does on the offensive side, um, but certainly something I'm looking for there. And then, of course, uh, Murray again, can he kind of take it, take that next step? Can Devin Taylor get in a little bit more action? Um, so certainly looking to see how uh, Cutcliffe goes after kind of these young and or um, new defensive backs in the Virginia Tech secondary. Yeah, I think that's a great shout. Um, what I'm looking most forward to seeing on the defensive side of the ball is I think Saxburg is back, and I don't want to overreact. But there's nothing better in college football than a quarterback sack, in my opinion. And it was something we used to do so extremely well. Um, we hit a little bit of a lull. And what I saw from that defensive line and linebackers, especially the blitz packages, I really, really, really liked. And, you know, anything could be a flash in the pan. But I would love to see another five to six sack performance coming out of that, you know, the defensive line and the linebackers. Um, man, I just... You try not to overreact to good games, and, and this would go a long way in kind of calming my nerves, saying, yeah, it, this wasn't a mirage. The defensive line linebackers, they're looking that good in the pass rush. So, you know, I want to see us get after Chase Bryce, a guy that's been pressured heavily, an offensive line that's had a hard time protecting him. Um, you know, I, I want to go in and capitalize on that, and, you know, I, that's what I'm most excited to see is is how does that look? Are we going to look as aggressive? Are we going to be on a complete rampage like we were against NC State? Um, you know, I need those questions answered. So Tim, what's, uh, what's your prediction for this one? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, we owe them a lot of revenge and I'm hoping that that's going to kind of fuel our guys into a big win. I hate predicting big Virginia tech wins. Um, so just for the sake of posterity, I'm going to go back in the, in the way back machine, um, and, and take a look at last year's game. And I think that was a 45 to 10 scoreline, if I remember correctly, um, so I'm going to go ahead and flip it and say Virginia Tech 45, Duke 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I'm going 52 to 13. Not that that isn't a big, uh, big number for Virginia Tech, but um, I, I think it's certainly something that uh, this team has the capability of doing after watching what uh, what they did to NC State last week. And I think just overall, NC State's probably a better team than Duke. So yeah, um, I think that certainly gives them. Um, Gives Hokie fans something to look forward to. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with their first road trip, uh, kind of what that looks like. So maybe a little bit out of their element, but it's only game two, and uh, it's going to be October. What is it, third on Saturday? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just I'm glad we have Hokie football again. I'm glad that we're feeling optimistic, positive, and uh, you know we've got a fun matchup uh, to talk about next week as well with UNC. So a lot of uh, a lot of positives to look forward to. Uh, just kind of going around the ACC real quick, Tim, you know, week, uh, what are we in week five? So week five in the ACC right mm-hmm. now. That's right. Um, you know, Friday night, Wake Forest, they play host to Campbell 35 point favorite NC state at Pitt. Pitt's a 14 point favorite. That seems like a big number. Um, you know, I'm really curious to see how NC state plays here. You know, are they improved over last season? How do they go up against the bestie in the ACC? Does Devin Leary give them a little bit better of a chance on offense? And most importantly, how does this pit offense look against the NC State defense? So I'm sure you've got a couple thoughts around that game. 
Yeah, you know, it's one of those where I feel like because of Pitt's limitations on offense, this could actually be a little closer than people think. Um, you know, Wake is no slouch on offense, I, I don't think, and Virginia Tech's certainly not. So I think, you know, the NC State defense may actually see a little reprieve um, from getting worn out when they go to face Pitt, which might be a blessing for them. Obviously, scoring on Pitt is going to be its own issue, um, but I do think Tim Beck's going to be creative enough to to get out there and if Devin Leary starts, I think the Wolfpack can make a run at this one. I'm still going to take Pitt, but I think that this is going to be much closer than people expect, maybe to the tune of a one-score game. Um, you know, only because NC State was embarrassed against Virginia Tech. They had high hopes their season was back on the right track, so they've really got to take the bull by the horns here. And in Pitt, I think NC State was was bad enough against Virginia Tech to where Pitt may actually overlook this one. So. Um, you know, I expect it to be a little bit closer uh, than maybe the experts think. Uh, number 12, UNC, which uh, is a joke, <clears throat> at Boston College. 3.30 on ABC, UNC, an 11.5-point favorite. Uh, what to watch for? Long layoff for North Carolina. Offense was inconsistent in the first half against Syracuse. They didn't really look very good. Uh, can they sustain consistency? And really, it's the same thing for Boston College. I, I still don't know what to expect from this team, really. Uh, Jerkovic seems like a guy who you know can be the leader of this offense, but they they seem to be struggling to get the running game going. So is that something they're able to figure out this week? And you know, with the offensive firepower of North Carolina, I'm not sure if BC gets down in this game. They really have a realistic shot of getting back into it. Uh, Jacksonville State at FSU. FSU a 26 and a half point favorite. Uh, I'd probably put some money on Jacksonville State there. UVA at Clemson. Uh, this game, 8 p.m. Eastern, ACC Network. Clemson, a 30-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, you know, Brennan Armstrong, passing ability. You know, what can he do against Clemson? You know, I, I think it's probably not going to be much. Uh, so, you know, from an offensive standpoint, can UVA really do anything? Uh, from a defensive standpoint, you know, what can they do with this Clemson Clemson offense? So, Tim, uh, going through those three, anything really stand out to you? No, you know, I, I think all, you know, all great mini reviews you did there. I do think UVA is going to keep it closer and maybe beat the spread, but we can talk about that in the doing line segment. Um, you know, Florida state, who the hell knows? I, I don't know. I mean, they could come out there and lose that game and I wouldn't necessarily be surprised with, with as bad as they've been. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me. But yeah, no real uh, shocking thoughts. I think those games are all kind of done and dusted in everybody's minds. So, um, you know, we'll see if we have any surprises there. But I, I think uh, those will play out just the way we expect them to. All right, so let's go on over to our doing line segment here. So, Tim, what uh, what did you go last week? I think I went o three and one. I think. Yeah, I think I think you did too. That's what I guessed you at um based off of our picks. So, uh if we recap our winners, I went 3 and 1 last week finally uh in in the win column here. So, I had UVA minus 5, Tim had Duke plus 5, UVA obviously got that. I had Miami minus 11, Baylor minus 16 and a half. My loser uh, which was a game I didn't really want to pick, but was forced to because of the Notre Dame cancellation. Was Boston College as an 18-point favorite over Texas yeah. State, which uh, did not work out. And then Tim, you also had Louisville plus two and a half, GT minus eight, uh, which were losses. And then the Tennessee game pushed at a uh, minus four spread. So uh, overall, 
Uh, I'm at four and seven. Tim is at four, six, and one. So we're we're a little bit more even than it was after week two. So I'm just I'm just glad to be in the win column there. Yeah, I mean we, we got to start making some better picks here. Um, you know we're, we're shaming ourselves. We we got to do something this week. Yeah, you know it's been it's been tough though. It's been a really tough start to the season oh, because yeah. there's just been so much unexpected. And so now that these teams are finally starting to play and we're starting to get a couple weeks under our belt, it's starting to really kind of take shape a little bit. So. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you get us started for your first pick of the week? Sure. Yeah, I think my first pick of the week. I just kind of alluded to it. I'm going to take Virginia plus 29 versus Clemson. Um, you know, I'm looking at the live line when I pull it up, so I don't know if you see the same thing or not. But I'm seeing plus 29 on my end. I think they're good enough on defense to keep it within four touchdowns. Um, so I feel pretty confident Virginia's going to keep that uh, within 28 points, and, and I would expect it to be more like 24 to 28 points. It's going to be close, but I like Virginia in that regard. Uh, my first pick is Virginia Tech minus 10 and a half. Um, I don't know if that's been updated. I don't have the live line in front of me if you've got it handy. I do. It's a minus 11 right now. Minus 11. So I'll yeah. take Virginia Tech at minus 11. Um you know, I'm I'm okay with that. I think uh, based off of last week's performance and uh, the inconsistency of Duke, I, I think Virginia Tech, I'd feel very confident in taking them at minus 11 this week. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a good call. Um, I also took Virginia Tech minus 11 uh, versus Duke, so we can go ahead and chalk that one up as hopefully a win for both of us. Uh, my next pick is UNC minus 11 and a half. I don't know if that line has moved, but you know I think uh, the long layoff could could affect this team a little bit. Um, but again, I just think it has too much firepower for BC. I think BC is a team that seems to be somewhat surging for an offensive identity. They seem to have gotten away from the run a little bit. Uh, what are they going to do with David Bailey? Um, maybe they figure it out this week. I just don't think they will. So I like UNC enough, and I think they have enough offensive firepower to uh, cover cover that spread. Yeah, I mean, not a bad pick. I I always struggle with, with picks where I don't have a good grasp of the team. And if I had a better grasp of Boston College, I think I would have made a play there. Um, but I just, you know, that Texas State, Texas State Texas State game really threw me off. It's hard to, you know, when you think Texas State, you think they'd be some big school, but not the case with Texas State. So um, I just won't pick that one. I'll stay away only because BC seems to be a wild card to me at the moment. So I'm going to go up to uh, Pittsburgh, and I'm going to take NC State plus 14 versus Pitt. Um, as I mentioned, I think Pitt's offense is going to keep this one close, not necessarily that the teams are too close from a final record or talent standpoint, um, but I think when you are that limited in offense, it's a good shout to always take a big underdog. So, you know, I'll go plus 14 at NC State against Pitt. Yeah, I've got the same. I, I just think Pitt's offense is too inconsistent to put up. Uh, a ton of points, and I think you just got so many weapons at the running back position for NC State that they'll figure out a way to score. And you know, with Devin Leary, it looks like it gives them a little bit of an added dimension in the run ga- or in the pass game. So um, I feel pretty pretty solid about taking NC State plus fourteen. I think anything bigger than ten points with this pit offense is is really tough to uh, tough to take. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that one. Um, you know, and then my last pick, this is where we venture outside the friendly confines of the ACC. I picked two teams that are both due for a hangover loss. So one of them has to win. That's Texas Tech versus Kansas State. If you remember Kansas State, amazing game against Oklahoma. Um, they beat the Spencer Rattler led Sooners and uh, Texas Tech had Texas beat 
<laughs> I think it was a couple touchdowns with a few minutes left. Ended up yeah, it was like your game. typical 70 to 56 yeah. score with three typical minutes to Big go. 12, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it was one of those things where that had, I mean, both. Look, from Kansas State, that's a typical hangover game after a big win. Um, we all know how that goes as Hokie fans. In Texas Tech, that's a typical hangover game after getting completely embarrassed um, against one of your biggest rivals. Because make no mistake, losing that lead was an absolute gut punch to them. So I'm looking at both of these games. I could see both being a letdown to me, though. When in doubt, air it out. I'm going on the side of the air raid versus the heavy run-oriented Wildcats. So give me Texas Tech plus 2.5 in Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, that's not a bad pick. Um, I'm going to Auburn plus six and a half. I was a little surprised uh, Auburn was a six and a half point dog going into Georgia, especially after the way Georgia played last week against Arkansas. Um, You know, that being said, Georgia does get JT Daniels, the uh, USC transfer quarterback, the real USC, and I'm not talking about the Gamecocks or any Gamecocks fans out there, but the real USC is in Southern California. Uh, JT Daniels was not available last week, um, but I still think it's a tough ask for him to come in week one and uh, week one for him and beat Auburn, who I think Auburn is a team that uh, looked good last week. I think they have a chance to make some noise this year. So I feel pretty good about taking Auburn at, you know, plus six and a half uh, as they as they play Georgia this week. Yeah, I think that's a good pick, too. Um, You know, both. Interesting. I thought your take on Georgia was pretty good too, because it's, it's, they're hard to pin down as well, especially with the uh, quarterback situation. Yeah, it just it seems like something is wrong with that offense. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like something was wrong with it last year with Jake Fromm. Yeah, um, and it doesn't seem any better through one game this year. So, right, I think Arkansas is a train wreck yeah. of a program right now. So the fact that you know, I think they ended up winning that game by 27 points, but oh, yeah. it took about three quarters for them to get going. So, yeah. Arkansas uh, is a train wreck, and it really was weird to see. I don't know if there was statistical regression from Drake Fromm, but you feel like he got worse in his junior and senior year at Georgia, which is strange. You know, he sort well, of had he didn't, that. He didn't really have a senior year because he, he left early. And so, oh, true, true. Um, his junior year, he certainly regressed. Yeah, and he seemed like he fell off of a what cliff. Was he thinking leaving? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and maybe it was sophomore, junior year that I'm thinking from freshman year because I, I remember when he came out as a freshman, he he seemed to be one of those guys you had such high hopes for. Championship. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's weird. You don't really see regression like that often from a quarterback position, um, but it does. It makes you think. You know, what is going on down in Athens with these quarterbacks? And to one Mathis, um, you know, I don't Oof. know what his final stat line looked like, um, but it didn't really instill Hopefully a lot of confidence. Not as bad as he looked on the field. Yeah. That was rough. That was bad. Uh, So that's our show for today. Tim, any any final words before we wrap it up? It just feels good. (laughs) It was a really great win. Hard to understate uh, how proud I am of the footballs, the the coaching staff, the support staff, the athletic trainers, everybody who worked tirelessly to get Virginia Tech on the field because that was no small effort. Um, How thankful I am for everybody that's involved with that program. Um, and just happy to, to finally be able to talk about some hokey football and, you know, just really take a step back and, and be really appreciative that we were able to see that. Cause at times this off season, it, it maybe felt like it was never going to get here. Yeah, no, it really does feel good to be back. And, you know, just to say that we're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. 
Uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, you know, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm trying to get us up onto Amazon here pretty soon, if that is your preferred method. I think that's new to the podcast game. So uh, you'll see uh, Chowder and Grits there soon. Tim, why don't you tell everybody what they can do for us? Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Go ahead into their podcast app and subscribe Subscribe for them. You'll be doing them a favor. It'll make it a lot easier for them when they want to listen to some ACC Virginia Tech coverage uh, on a casual podcast like ours. Um, you know, just interact with us. Keep talking to us on Twitter, Facebook. You know, especially last weekend, the Twitter hotline was lighting up. Um, you know, that, that was crazy. And we absolutely love it. I had to go it, get man. some mustard. My hand was cramping. I was so active. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. Shout out to French's man. They came through clutch for two Hokies last weekend. Um, but yeah, just keep doing what you guys are doing, man. You guys are awesome. And I really can't put into words how much, how, how cool it is, uh, to sit there on a Saturday and interact with so many of you, um, as you know, the Hokies are playing or any other ACC team. So just keep it up for us. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, and again, just hit that hit that five star button. Just go over there now. Go to your podcast. Hit five stars, and if you want to leave a text review, that's great. If not, we'll take the five stars. But appreciate all of you listening, and uh, you know we'll see you guys next week. Go Hokies.